Well, there was a man who was driving down the road one day. He was in his car behind a delivery truck. And they both came up to a stoplight and had to stop. And suddenly the guy in the car watches the driver of the delivery truck jump up, get out of his truck, and he's holding a baseball bat. And before he can worry if the guy's coming back to him, he sees the guy run around his truck beating all over it with this bat. Now, as the light is turning green, uh, the driver jumps back in his truck and they take off. Now, they get to the second light, another intersection. The light there is red as well, and he watches the guy repeat this same process. They're going up the road a little further, and uh, they come to another light that turns red, and the guy gets out, and he does this a third time. Now, the man in the car behind is curious as to what's going on, so he yells out the window and says, what are you doing? And the delivery driver yells back to the guy, well, this is a two-ton truck, and I've got four tons of birds in it, and I have to keep half of them flying. Now, I share that because this past couple of weeks has maybe uh, been as crazy as that to many of us. As we've been watching what's been happening with the media stirring up uh, panic, as uh, we have been dealing with it, some of you may feel like you're the person with the baseball bat this morning, that you're the one running around just trying to keep everything going. The stock market's crashed. Uh, Institutions are closing down, colleges, schools. Uh, we're seeing just all kinds of things happening on the news, and, and we're, we're in a time where people are worried. And uh, as we're talking about things being canceled, I've got a great view of that this morning. Those of you who are joining us online, I'm looking out at a sanctuary with uh, about 20, 30 people in it, and so I've got over 1,000 empty seats that I'm looking at. But you know what? The church is not this building. The church is not uh, the body being here at our campus or out at Stone Oak. The, the church is the body of Christ. And so this morning, I'm grateful that we get to join together. We get to worship together online. So as you're watching this from your home, from work, wherever it is that you are this morning, I want you to turn in your Bible with me to Philippians chapter 4 as we're going to be looking at God's Word this morning. Now, if you've been worshiping with us at Wayside the last several weeks, you know we're in a series in the book of Galatians. Uh, But today I want to stop and just kind of step out of Galatians for this Sunday because uh, it, it is a great book and we're coming back to it next week. But I think this morning there is a passage that people need to hear from out of Philippians chapter 4 because there's fear. There's worry, there's anxiousness. And in Philippians chapter 4, God tells us what to do when we're worried. So I invite you to look with me now as we read Philippians 4, 6 through 9. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now, when we're told here in verse 6 not to be anxious, the Greek word that is used here literally means to divide, to separate. It it speaks of uh, something being pulled in different directions where there is so much stress on it that it just tears this thing into two. 
And many of us are feeling that right now. There's pressure, there's stress, there's anxiety, and we're feeling just kind of torn apart. Worry has been called one of the world's silent killers. It not only harms our health, but it also robs joy from our lives. If you look just a few verses before what we read this morning, uh, Paul says in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I want you to notice Paul didn't say there, be happy. The word happy uh, has the root of happenstance. And what happy is tied to is our circumstances. It says when good things are happening, when fun things are there, uh, we're happy. But when things are hard, then our happiness can be affected. And what Paul is telling us here is if our focus is on Christ, rather than our circumstances, we will be able to rejoice just as Paul is doing. Now, maybe as you're reading Philippians or you're listening to me say that, you're thinking, well, those are just the pious platitudes of preachers. I mean, Paul, what does this guy know? He's, he's probably living the good life as he's writing this letter. He's on a Mediterranean beach. Everything's great. If that's what you're thinking, I want to remind you that as Paul writes the letter to the Philippians, he's in a Roman jail. Paul is in prison. In fact, Paul is under a sentence of death. For his faith. He's facing uh, death. And yet Paul says at that moment, I can rejoice. I can have peace. Because in the midst of the storm, he was trusting in God. Friends, there is a storm going on right now. Even if you're somebody who's saying, well, Roger, I'm not joining the panic. I'm not one of these people that is, uh, I, I think this is all overblown and what's happening. I, I got several emails when we said we were canceling church uh, here, having people gather for worship saying, where's our faith? What are we doing? Well, part of our vision statement says Wayside Chapel is a community where we join together as a community to reach the community. And as partners in this city, part of what we're trying to do is work with the community to say, how do we bring peace to the situation? How do we serve the city? How do we have a good witness to others? The Bible tells us to obey civil authority. So we could have met, and we are meeting right now online. But People are are worried and saying, why are we joining the panic? Even if you are not panicking, and personally, I'm not. But if you go to the store, you see you're being pushed into it. You go to buy toilet paper, it's all gone. The food aisles are depleting. So uh, what's happening right now is people are feeling this, this anxiety. They're being stressed and torn apart. And friends, what people need right now is not another roll of toilet paper. What they need is the peace of God. And we who are Christians, we have that peace. We have that anchor in the storm. And so what Paul is telling us is God offers this to us as Christians. Our sense of security comes not because of our distance from the danger. Our security comes from our closeness to God. It's not the distance from the danger. It's the closeness to God. You see what faith is. Faith is where we see the crisis through the lens of God. We, we let God change our perspective. And what the world has is fear because they don't have God. They're seeing just the circumstances. And so we who are Christians, Paul is reminding us of, of our anchor. The Bible talks about the house that's built on sand will, will fall in the storm, but the one that's built on the rock will survive the wind and the waves. And as Christians, we have that foundation of faith And we have an opportunity right now to share who the anchor is in the storm with others who are fearful. 
If you look at Mark chapter 4 and verses 37 through 39, there it says, And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much so that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And the disciples woke him, and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus caught up. And he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. Friends, sometimes God stops the storm. Sometimes God calms the storm. But there are other times that God doesn't calm the storm. What he does instead is come to us in the midst of the storm to bring calm to us. We see an example of that in Matthew chapter 14. There the disciples were again in a boat that was being battered by the wind and the waves. And as they struggled in the storm, what Matthew 14, 25 through 33 tells us is, And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water and he came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind... He became frightened and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and he took hold of him. And he said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, you are certainly the son of God. We, we see this storm in the midst of crisis. The disciples are alone out in the boat and Jesus comes to them. And Peter says, Christ, will you call me to you? Can I come to you? And he says, get out of the boat, come, Peter. And Peter is walking on water. And Peter's walking on water in the midst of the wind and the waves. But what happens is at some point he takes his eyes off of Christ and he begins to look at the storm around him. And as soon as he sees the storm, he begins to sink. I wonder how many of us, as we're dealing with the circumstances around us, are sinking right now. How many of us have taken our eyes off of God and we're looking at the wind and the waves around us, and because of that, we're sinking? And if that's the case, we need to do as Peter does. He cries out for help, and it says Jesus is there to immediately save him. God wants us to get our eyes off the wind and the waves and to get them on him in the midst of this. Corey Ten Boom, who was a well-known missionary, said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within you, you will be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you will be at rest. There's another passage in Matthew chapter 6 that deals with worry. And what it tells us there in Matthew six twenty-five through 34 is this. Do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink or for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Observe how the lilies of the field grow, and they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even King Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves, or where are we going to get toilet paper, or hand sanitizer, or on and on, right? What he says is, for all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows what you need, that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So why is it that so many of us are worried about tomorrow and the next day and maybe the next year and even 10 years from now? And I know somebody's listening saying, oh, I have the answer to that one, Pastor Roger. You see, in about 10 years, I should be retiring. And, and the stock market just crashed and burned. And, and, you know, I lost years of savings. And I may have to work now for extra years. And I'm worried about this and, and on and on. And I understand that. I'm in that boat with you as well. This is now the third major crash of the stock market in the time that I've been investing. Now, I know many people have a lot more money than I do in the market, but uh, that's the money that I need one day to retire on as well. And if you're worried about that, uh, let, me, let me just remind you of a couple of things. First, stop and breathe. Okay? I'm not an investment professional, so don't take my advice in terms of investments, but I am an investment professional in terms of the eternal things, and I know what God tells me, and he says, don't worry about it. You know, an investment person will tell you that you haven't lost a penny until you sell your investment. Uh, I I know it doesn't uh, feel good to turn on the computer or look at a sheet and see it bleeding red like we're doing right now, but let me remind you, Friday the market went up 10%. Now, I know you're thinking, well, Monday it could go down 10, 20, 30%. It could. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What God tells us is he will give us what we need. The Bible says if you have food and clothing and shelter with these things, we should be content. God tells us not to worry uh, about what's happening. As you're watching the market go up and down and up and down, you know what you're doing? You're watching the wind and the waves. And we're taking our eyes off of God. And what God says is, no wonder you're sinking. No, no wonder you're scared. He says, get your eyes off the ups and downs of the waves and the storm around you and look at me. Trust in me. Now, it may be that you're listening and saying, Roger, I'm not worried about 10 years from now. I'm worried about tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to eat this next week. And that can be a legitimate concern for some. And so what I want you to hear is this. Here at Wayside Chapel, we have a food pantry. We have resources on our property right now to help you out. And if you're listening, you're saying, I don't know how I'm going to feed my family this next week, or my kids are in you know, the lunch program at school, and, and we don't have what we're going to need uh, in order to take care of them this next week. I want you to contact our church on Monday morning, and we will work with you to get you what you need to feed your family this week. 
And you may be thinking, well, my, my needs are a little bit bigger than just food for the table this week. I, ha- I have a, a bill or two that I don't know how I'm going to pay. I've been out of work. Things are crashing. I don't have the resources. We have an agape committee here. We have a group of men and women who will work with you on a confidential basis to look at what your needs are, to look at what your resources are that you have, and our financial counselors will work with you to come up with a plan, including the body of Christ here at Wayside coming alongside and providing some short-term help with some immediate needs. In the book of Acts, it tells us that when the church, the early church had those who were suffering, those who had shared with those who were in need, and that's what the body of Christ does. And that's what we're going to do here at Wayside Chapel. We will come alongside and we will help in those times. God said, look at the birds of the air. They don't worry about what they're going to eat. And as believers, we can trust in him. As believers, we can turn to Christ in the midst of the storm. As you think about what you're worrying about, Matthew 6.27 says, can it add a single cubit to your life? Friends, a cubit was a unit of measurement that was about 18 inches. So what he was saying is, can, can you add this much to your life? And of course, the answer is no. In fact, what medical science tells us is when we worry, we don't extend our life. What we actually do is shorten it. Worry can, can not only take time off our life, but what it also does is it sucks the joy out of the time that we currently have. Worry is the interest that we pay on trouble before it is even due. Many of you have heard of Mark Twain, and uh, he said, I'm an old man and I have many troubles, most of which never happened. Think about all the things you worry about. How many of them actually happen? How many of them are as bad as you thought they would be? There was a clinical study that was done on worry, and they found that 60% of our fears are totally unfounded. More than half, over 60%. 20% of what we worry about is stuff that's already in the past. 10% of our worries are so petty that even if they were to come true, they would have little effect on us. That means that just 4 to 5% of the remaining 10% are real. Are real. That we can do something about even. Okay, it's like worrying about when a hurricane is going to hit the coast. You can't stop the hurricane from coming, but you can go and buy food. You can board up your windows. Uh, People right now are saying, well, I'm hoarding toilet paper and cleaning supplies, right? I'm doing something about my worries. As you think in terms of your worries, I want to show you a slide because today is the tomorrow that we worried about yesterday. I want you to think about that. Today... Is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday. And as you think about how things are today, is it as bad as you thought? Or does it look a little bit like this? You thought that vicious big dog that was going to consume you turns out to be like a little teacup chihuahua. Most of the things we worry about don't happen. And of those that do, they're not as bad as we imagine them to be. Friends, if you really want to know what is going to happen in the future, then look at Philippians 4 or 5. Because it says, the Lord is near. You can take that to the bank. The Lord is near. That's what's going to happen in the future. That's what's happening right now. Because at one level, God is close to his children. 
The Bible tells us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God is with us. We're told that, do you not know your body is a temple of the Lord and the Spirit of God dwells within you? In 1 Corinthians 3.16, we have the Holy Spirit, God himself resident within us. And the Bible tells us very clearly, there is a day coming when Christ is coming back. And when Christ returns, the only thing that you will need to be able to answer, the one and only question is, did you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Nothing else in this world matters. Everything else is a footnote. When that day comes and you stand before God, will he say to you, welcome home to heaven because you knew my son, you received Jesus as your savior. Or will you hear from God, depart from me, for I never knew you. So many of us are worried about all the stuff going on in the world around us, all the needs in our life. And God says the greatest need that any one of us has is for a savior to know Jesus Christ. God says the biggest need you and I will ever face in our life, he has already met because Christ came to earth in order to go to the cross to die to pay the penalty of death that we owe for our sins. And Jesus paid that penalty in full and he offers us that gift of grace that is to be received by faith where we say to God, I'm a sinner. I know I owe this penalty of death. I thank you, Jesus, that you took my place. You died for me. You covered the cost. You closed the account as we've been talking about all throughout Galatians. In Romans 10, 9, we're told, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God offers you that free gift of eternal life. And if you've never received his gift to you, I invite you to do so. That is the greatest need that we have, and God has already acted to meet it. As I said, all the other stuff in the world is just a footnote. Our time here on earth has nothing compared, is, is nothing compared to what eternity will be like. And Paul knew that, which is why he wrote in another book, in the, in the book of Romans, he says in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul, Paul's life was one that was constant pain and persecution. And yet he could say there is a day coming where all of this pales in comparison with, with the glory of heaven, with what God has waiting for us when we come to him. So as you think about all this happening, as you think about the fear and, and, the, and the storm around us and, and, and you know, the fire, so to speak, that's consuming everything, I want you to think about what you were taught when you were little. Back when you were in school, you know, there was that day where there was a fire safety drill where they said, if you're ever on fire, if your clothes on fire, what are you supposed to do? Do you run around so you put the f- f- flames out? Do you run trying to put out the flames? What are you supposed to do? Stop, drop, and roll, right? Stop, drop, and roll. And this is what Paul is telling us today. He says, when we worry, when we run around, all we're doing is fanning the flames, we're making things worse. And what he's telling us is, stop. Drop to your knees and roll your problems on God. Take what your fears are, take what you're facing, and give them to God Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, who was a a pastor, uh, was talking about prayer one day and how we're to turn our problems over to God. And there was a woman uh, listening to him. And afterwards, she came up and she said, she said, do you think we should pray about the little things in our life? The little things in our life, Dr. Morgan. 
And he very kindly said to this lady, Madam, can you mention anything in your life that is big to God? What he was trying to say is understand who God is, the creator of the universe, this infinite, all-powerful God who sees and is in control of the cosmos. And is, as, as you look at your, your part of you know, history and your life, he says, is there anything going on in your one individual life that is big to God? Now, he wasn't saying God didn't care about you. You were meaningless. We just read how in Matthew 6, God said, I see even the birds. I see even the grass of the field, and I care for those things. He loves us. He cares for us. But the point of the matter is, is there anything you're dealing with this morning that you think is, is too small for God to deal with? So that's why you don't bother him. And if that's what you're thinking, then I want to ask you, why are you letting it bother you? If it's too little for God, then why is it even bothering you? Here in Philippians, Paul tells us, be anxious for nothing, big or small, nothing, but in everything, go to God in prayer. Now, when he says to pray in verse 6, he actually uses four different Greek words in this passage for prayer. The first one is simply translated as prayer. And this describes how a believer approaches God, where we come before him in adoration, devotion, and worship. It's where we offer our praise and adoration to God, uh, because what that does is it helps us first focus on who God is. It's part of why we wanted this online worship time to include worship. Because this is a way that we, we get our perspective right as we look up and we say, God is this infinite, great God. And as we see God for who he is, this, this creator of, of all things, we see that he's big enough to handle whatever problems we're dealing with. I mentioned a moment ago, uh, I asked you a question, do you think there's anything too small to bother God with? And usually what we're thinking is, well, actually... I have these giant size problems. They're so big, I'm not sure if God can handle them. We see a picture of that in 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you read 1 Samuel 17, it's where we find the account of David and Goliath. And you'll remember what happened is the Philistine army was, was going against uh, the army of Israel. And as they were camped out there, the Philistines had this giant champion named Goliath. He was nine foot nine inches tall. He was this massive warrior. And as people looked at him, they shuddered in fear. And Goliath was coming out and he was mocking uh, not only the Israelite army, but the God whom they, they followed, the true God, Yahweh. And they were shuddering in fear. But then along comes a young shepherd by the name of David. David was bringing supplies to his brother and to the, his brothers there who were serving in the army. And as he gets to the camp and he gives the supplies, he goes to the front line. He's talking to them. And suddenly Goliath comes out doing his daily taunt. And, and everybody's running in fear and shuddering. And David looks over and says, what's everybody running for? And they said, don't you see this giant? David says, I see a dwarf. And the reason David had that perspective is, as I said earlier, faith is where we see our problem through the lens of who God is. The army of Israel was forgetting God. They removed him from the equation, so their fear only saw this, this massive giant. But David says, when I, when I look at Goliath through these binoculars, uh, he shrinks down to the proper size because you're forgetting to include God. And one plus God is all we need to face anything. And so David was able to say, 
I see Goliath for what he is. For every giant-sized problem in our life, there is a God-sized solution. I love what one person wrote. They said, when fear knocked at the door, faith answered, and no one was there. When you deal with problems in your life, who answers the door? Is it fear? Or does faith answer the door? Because when fear knocks at the door and you let faith answer, you see the problem is taken care of. God is able to to remove that from you. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, Roger, I think God is too big to be bothered with me and my problems. If that's what you're thinking, I want to remind you of what Jesus told the disciples when he taught them to pray. He said, when you come before the God of heaven, when you come before Yahweh, Jehovah in heaven, he said, call him daddy. Say, our father who art in heaven. Again, what God wants us to understand is for those who have come to faith in his son, we are sons and daughters of his. He tells us in John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And as sons and daughters of God, when we come before him, As we come to him in prayer, we're able to say, Daddy, I have a need. I have three kids, two daughters and a son. One's in college. My oldest daughter's in college. The other middle daughter and son are in high school. So they're not little anymore, but I remember when they were little and when they, when they had a problem, they would, they would come to me and they'd crawl up in my lap and, and you know, they'd, they'd just want to snuggle up and they'd go, Daddy, you know, they're crying or they have a boo-boo and fix it, Daddy. And, you know, because I was their father, they felt safe. Whatever boogeyman or thing they were facing, that, that giant Rottweiler shrunk down to a teacup chihuahua when Daddy you know, had them in, in their arms. But even now, as they've gotten big, they still come to me at times like that. Now, my, my son, who's about to turn 15, he's almost as big as I am. Uh, I've got a size 14 foot. His is now a 13. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's like right here on me. But there are times he still just wants to come and be hugged and held. And the same with my, my daughters. Even though they're bigger, they understand daddy is still here. When there's hard things, when they're fearful, daddy is here to help. There's a sense of security. And friends, whether you're young or old, God says, come to me as father. Lay your fears at my feet. Crawl up in my lap. Share your needs with me. And that's why Paul tells us here to start with this type of prayer where we praise God for where we see who he is, this big, infinite God who's capable of handling everything, and yet he's also this personal God that we get to come to and talk to in prayer. Now, once we have that proper perspective, he tells us to move to the next part of our prayer, which is where we uh, have supplication or petition. The Greek word used here describes an earnest sharing of our needs and problems. It has an emphasis on receiving an answer to that specific need. And as we receive that answer, he tells us to pray with thanksgiving because he says, thank God for the answer to your prayer. Now, you may be thinking, well, I would thank God if he'd answer my prayers, but he doesn't. Friends, God always answers our prayers. Sometimes his answer is no. Sometimes his answer is, I know something better for you. And that's why I'm not giving you what you're asking for. An unknown uh, author wrote this. I asked for strength that I might achieve. He made me weak that I might obey. 
I asked for health that I might do great things. He gave me grace that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. He gave me poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. He gave me weakness that I might feel a need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. He gave me life that I might enjoy all things. I received nothing that I asked for. He gave me all that I had hoped for. The fourth word that Paul uses for prayer here is one that reminds us to come to God with our problems. When he says, let your requests be made known to God, it speaks of a definite and specific need in our life. God already knows everything we need. But as a father, I still want my kids to come to me. I want them to fellowship with me. I want them to talk to me. I want them to, 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 to you know, let me know what's going on in their world. And what James 4.2 tells us sometimes is you have not because you ask not. And so God wants us to bring our needs to him. And as we come to God in prayer, as we lay these things at his feet, as we crawl up in daddy's lap, as we understand this big, powerful God who can handle all things, Philippians 4, 7 says, The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. One day there was a a pastor who was... uh, getting ready to preach. And as he looked out, he saw this well-known judge who was in the congregation. And this, this man was well-known for his skill as an orator and various things. And so uh, the pastor was a little bit, you know, concerned about what would this guy think about his sermon. And afterwards, he's out in the uh, foyer of the church. The pastor's there and the judge is, is leaving. And uh, he said, oh, your honor, thank you for being here to worship with us today. He said, um, I was just wondering if you had any feedback, if you could tell me what you thought of the message I preached this morning. And the, the judge said to the pastor, he said, well, your, your sermon this morning was like uh, the peace and mercy of God. And the pastor was flattered. And he goes, well, your honor, thank you. I, I didn't know, you know, I never hoped to achieve that. He said, could you tell me why you thought it was like the peace and mercy of God? And he said, well, like the peace of God, it passed all understanding. And he said, and like his mercy, it went on forever. Now, I can't see most of you this morning. You may be sitting at home thinking this message is like the peace and mercy of God, that you can't grasp what I'm saying and it seems to be going on forever. But this is what I want you to understand. I do want you to grasp who God is. I do want you to understand his, his anchor that he gives to us in the storm, that he is that rock, that no matter what is happening around us, he is there for us. I want you to understand his mercy, and I want you to communicate that mercy to others. This is what Paul was doing. He says, I have this peace and understanding of who God is. So even when I'm in a prison facing death, he says, I'm at peace. He tells us in Philippians 4, 7, that when we transfer our troubles to God, he gives us peace. Now, the word Paul uses here uh, actually was a, a Greek word that spoke of a guard, specifically of an entire detachment of soldiers who would stand guard over a city and protect it from attack. And Paul was saying, God will do that for us. He will protect our hearts and our minds. He will give us his peace even in the midst of an onslaught. As we think of God's peace that he offers to us, Jesus Christ said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives. 
do I give to you? Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You know, one of the sources of fear in the world right now is what's going on in our minds. And our minds are being filled with this constant onslaught of information about the coronavirus. People are scrolling, you know, minute by minute. What's the latest thing? Is there an outbreak? Oh, no, there's a case here in San Antonio. There's all this. And we're filling our minds with with all of this. And I'm not saying to bury your head in the sand. We need to know what's going on. But, friends, check in uh, daily. Check in maybe every, you know, half part of the day. You don't have to be in there every second of every day looking at what's the latest thing. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Instead of saturating your mind with all this media news and and fear and things, saturate your mind with the word of God. Focus on the things that that can give you peace. It's why Paul says here in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, repute, if, if there is anything of excellence, if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The word dwell here means to think through something logically and carefully. It means we just don't pass over these things, but we ponder them, we, we linger there. Think of a tea bag. If you take a tea bag and you, you dip it in a, in a cup of hot water a few times, all you're going to get is a, is a very weak uh, cup of tea that is nothing more than colored water. But if you let it steep, if you leave it in there, if you let it just continue to draw out more and more, it changes the richness of it. And this is what God says. Quit filling your mind with the stuff out there in the world. Instead, fill it with the word of God. Focus on Christ. Get your eyes off the wind and the waves and the things around you that are causing this anxiety. And look to God who can calm the storm. Look to God who is with us in the midst of the storm. As you think about what you're filling your minds with, are you lingering over the good things or your minds filled with worry? How many nights have you uh, laid awake worrying about what's going on in the world right now? You know, you look at little kids. When they lay awake at night, it's usually when they've heard, oh, we're going to go do something fun the next day, or there's this big event coming. And they're awake because they're, they're, they're so excited about the good stuff coming that that's why they lay awake. If you go to mom and dad's bedroom, they're laying awake at night worrying about the bad stuff. There was a believer who was... Uh, worried about some stuff. And he had prayed to God. He, he did what we're talking about today. He stopped, he dropped, he rolled it onto God. But as he got into bed, he, he continued to, to worry, to think about it. His mind was churning. And as he was laying there awake, he, he kind of heard this, you know, felt this impression from God where, where God said to him, hey, hey, Jim, I'm going to be up all night anyway. You go to sleep. I'll sit up. I'll, I'll take care of this. Have you rolled your worries onto God? And if you have, are you trying to take them back? I think of the story of a a farmer who was driving his wagon down a, a road, and as he was doing so, he sees this man carrying this heavy backpack going along the side of the road. 
And the, and the farmer, uh, as he pulls up alongside him, he says, he says, excuse me, sir, I'm, I'm going way up the road here. He says, I've got plenty of room in the back. He said, I'd, I'd love for you to just climb in the back of the wagon and I'll take you up the road if you need a rest. And the man said, oh, thank you so much. That'd be great. And he climbs into the back of the wagon with his, his backpack and the farmer, you know, gets the horses going again and he's, he's going on up the road. And this guy's been really quiet. So he thinks, well, he must have, you know, laid down and fallen asleep, taking this load off and he's resting. So he kind of looks back to see what's going on. And he's amazed to see that this, this backpacker still has his pack on his back and he's sitting in the back of the wagon, just stooped over like this with this, this heavy load on his back. And the, the farmer says to him, hey, excuse me, sir. He says, why don't you take that pack off and lay it aside and rest? And, and the backpacker says to the farmer, he says, oh, no, I, I have to help the horses carry the load. Now, as you think about that, you think, well, that's kind of ludicrous, isn't it? And yet how many of us are doing that? How many of us have said, God, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept the ride from you. I'm going to accept your help. But we're continuing to carry the burden and saying, I have to help God carry this. I have to help God deal with this. What Paul tells us in verse 9 is he had learned to let God have his burdens. And he calls on us to do the same thing. As he says, the things you have learned and, and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And, and the God of peace shall be with you. In the midst of the current chaos we're in, we have an opportunity to apply the things that we know as believers. We have the world around us watching. And when they see us as Christians at peace in the midst of the storm, they will ask you, why? Aren't you worried about this? Aren't you fearful of this? Did, did you get hammered in the market too? Or, or do you have like, you know, your attic full of toilet paper? I mean, why are you not worried about all this stuff? And we're able to share with them that we know the Prince of Peace. We're able to share with them we know a God who is in control. We know the one who made us, who holds the future in his hand. And we're able to offer that message of hope and peace. We have a choice to make today. Will we continue to carry our worries or will we give them to God? As you think of that, I want to close with a final illustration. This is a statue you can see if you go to New York City. It's, it's, it's in front of Rockefeller Center. It's a, it's a giant status of the mythological figure Atlas. And as you see there, he's this, this powerful, muscle-bound, sculpted uh, you know, image of a, of a man. And, and yet, as, as strong as he is, I want you to notice how, as he has this, this picture of the world on his back, how he's just stooped over, how he's struggling under the burden of the world on his shoulders. And if you're standing there, as I have done, if you stand there at that statue and look at it, if you turn and you look across the street, what you'll see is St. Patrick's Cathedral is right across the street from the statue of Atlas. And if you go into St. Patrick's Cathedral, if you walk into the church there, you will find that there is a statue depicting Jesus as a young boy. And it shows Jesus inside with his palm uh, up like this, and he has a world. He has the, the world just as Atlas does, but it's just this tiny little globe in his hand. And this young image of Jesus is holding the world with no effort at all. And his other hand is, is held up giving the sign of peace. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a choice this morning. Will we continue to struggle under the burdens we're bearing? Will we act like those in the world or will we turn to the one who is the Prince of Peace, the one who says, turn your struggles over to me, stop, drop, roll them to me, let me carry the burden, let me handle it, and let me give you the peace that passes all understanding. God offers that to us today. And if you're here this morning or you're listening to this and and you're thinking, Roger, I don't have that peace because I don't know Christ, the, the wonderful news is that God gives you the opportunity to know him today, to give you the opportunity to receive his gift of his son of eternal life. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. He has a gift of eternal life that he bought and and paid for in full with the shedding of his blood on the cross. He built the bridge back to restore fellowship that we had broken through sin. We live in a broken, cursed world. And there is a day coming where God is going to redeem this. Paul said, the Lord is near. And when he returns, Romans says that even creation is groaning out, waiting for that day of redemption. We will face diseases like the coronavirus. We will face additional plagues. There will be things that will happen. But God, who is in control, says, I can be that that harbor for you in the storm, that anchor for you. But you first have to come to know my son. You have to come into the family. As John 1.12 said, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So if you've not yet received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I invite you to do so today. To say to him, God, I am broken and I live in a broken world. I'm a sinner and I, and I know I owe this penalty of death for my sin. And God, I'm asking you to be the provision, the payment. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's given you the bridge to come home to heaven by accepting his son as your savior. And if you would like to do that, I'm going to close now in prayer and give you an opportunity where you are listening and online just to bow your head and say to God, God, I'm accepting your gift of new life. If you would like to do that, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Lord God, I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. I thank you, Christ, that you came to go to the cross to be the provision for me, the payment for the penalty of death that I owe for my sins. I thank you, God, that you uh, loved me so much that you came and gave your life so that I could have the gift of eternal life. And today I accept you, Jesus, as my personal Savior. I accept your death in my place. I believe, God, you rose from the dead three days later, showing you had conquered sin and death. And God, right now, for all of us who have received your son, we need that peace as well. We thank you, God, that that you offer us uh, a safe harbor in the midst of the storm. God, as we're praying this morning, it's not just for health and protection from this, this virus, this coronavirus. But it's also, God, what we need is your peace. And God, as those who have received your peace, as we turn our worries over to you, we know we live in a world that is dark and dying. We know there are people around us who are panicking. Would you help us, God, to be instruments of your peace, messengers of hope? So as we uh, end our time here with the song of worship, as we get ready to go back to what's going on in our neighborhoods, maybe at work or when we go to school next week, we're, we're hoping, God, that you would allow us to go into those places as messengers of peace, as those who would carry this message of hope. 
So thank you again, God, for your peace. Thank you again for your love for us. We commit ourselves to you, and we ask that you would lead and guide us in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.